Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 114 for Monday, May 8th, 2017. Folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the working musicians podcast by foreign about, you guessed it, working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in, you guessed it, Los Gatos, California. <laughs> Man, we've been doing this for a long time. It's Paul Kent. It, it is Paul Kent. And yes, we have been doing it for a long time. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a crazy week. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's Monday. Uh, okay, well, last week was a crazy week, and and yeah. this week's queued up to be yet crazier. But that's it. You know, it's all good. It's all good. Play last week. I did. I had. <laughs> let's see. We did the show. I forget when we did the show. I think we did the show Monday. So I had, yeah. I had finished the uh, normal run of of first date, the musical I did with UNH, and then Thursday night we did a one off show of it uh, at a different theater in Portsmouth. And, you know, all those things that I talked about, about sound totally uh, were were justified and 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 not not necessarily justified, but uh, but confirmed because this theater has a sound system and they had pin mics over the stage and we were off the stage kind of in, you know, essentially what would have been a pit um, in this in this room. And even though the room was all cement, it's not a square room. So no reflections. The sound in there was fantastic. And, uh, but I was further away from the piano player than I've ever been. And he's the music director. And so it was him and then the guitar player and me. And I'm like, we played a little bit during like a rehearsal and I said, I can't hear. And he starts saying, you want me to, you know, you want, should we get closer to each other? And the sound guy happened to be walking by and he says, well, why don't we just give you a monitor? I thought, yes, Gee. exactly. Right. So, you know, and I was still playing with rods and brushes because it was a small room, but uh, but he wound up putting a mic over my drums, which totally, you know, like blew the mind of of our music director, who's like, oh, you got to play quieter and quieter. I'm like, well, can we and I overstepped my bounds for sure by saying this, but but he said that to me and I said and I had literally just spoken to the sound guy and said, hey, where's how's my volume level? You know, what do you need? He's like, no, you're totally great. This is good. And I said, good. Give me more of the, the singers in my ears. And so then the music director says, no, we got to bring you back. And I said, can we just ask the sound guy, <laughs> which I shouldn't have done, but it, but because he's the music director, I shouldn't have done. But in the grand scheme of things, it's what we all should do. If there is someone in charge of the sound, you need to delegate not just the responsibility, but the trust to that person. Um, and, and that was sort of my point was, can we like we can't hear what that guy hears. We're not out in the house. We're in this weird spot. Can we just trust him? It was really what I asked. And th like I said, thankfully, this music director and I have worked together a ton and we know each other. And so, that, you know, I stepped on his toes a little bit and I shouldn't have. Well, you know, let me, let me take I this conversation. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm going to give you a different angle of it. So yeah. um, I have some friends who were asked to perform at a party. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, gather a barbecue like that. Sure. The asker, I'm almost certain, thought that it would be a campfire, sit around, the, you know, one guitar and let's sing a couple of things. And, oh, look at my friends. They're so talented and, you know, type of thing. But my friend who said yes um, brought their sound system and um, set up and, and they played. 
Right. And um, Terry was like, my wife was asked, like, why would, why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just you know, perform? And I'm like, well, the deal is this. When you, when you reach a certain level, you expect a certain level of professionalism from yourself. And so you do what it takes to, to make sure you can hear and sound and perform. So this is, this is, I'm taking this very small yeah. situation that, you know, good musicians are not going to say, oh, hey, I'll just do something around the campfire. They're going to say, I'm going to, you know, make sure if, if you're going to hear me, this is my brand. You know, I don't want to be a campfire person. I, I you know, I sound good when I play right. and I take my sound seriously. Now I'll extract this all the way up to you're doing, you know, in my band, g- guys are, are different amounts of uh, forwardness in making sure they have what they need to have in order to succeed. Sure. Some guys are like, I will get my mix the way I want it and we will take as long as it takes until I'm happy because it is, I am, I'm going to be comfortable playing. And other guys are like, that's good enough. And what I hear you saying is it dawns on you now that in these situations, you, you would explore every option and make sure you have what you have so you can be successful and yep. deliver the goods. And if you think about it that way, it's only reasonable, right? It's only reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. My problem was that I just I, – I blurted out a response instead of being perhaps a little more tactful about it. But again, in the moment, this guy and I have known each other for years. We trust each other and it was like – I apologized afterwards. I'm like, sorry if I stepped on your toes. I just – Wanted to be efficient about that. He's like, no, no, no. And he said, I appreciate the apology, but you were right. He's like, we got to like, it's his job. We just got to let him do it. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's all. Yeah. And if you don't trust the sound personnel to do their job, then you need to replace them. I, I mean, and I realize I say that very simplistically and it's never simple to replace someone. But if you have sound personnel and you should be able to trust them and so that you can do your job while they do theirs and you oh, don't have to get a bill. You get a bill. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, this guy, Nick, was outstanding. He was so good. It's, you know, because he just he knew what needed to be done. And he did. He came up to me after we did a little rehearsal and he's like, OK, so your your overall level is great. Your kick drum is too loud. I'm like, oh, OK, great. So we you know, I took my sweatshirt off and I stuffed it inside the kick drum and muffled it down some more. And I hit it. And I'm like, is this better? He's like, totally perfect. I'm like, great. Perfect. That's all we need. Easy. Cool. And then Friday I had a gig. At least I thought I had a gig <laughs> and it turned out I did. I, I posted something cryptic on our, um, yeah, I saw that on our group. Yeah. Right. So, so this is that, this is that we drove, uh, we fling drove, uh, I don't know, about 40 minutes away to, uh, this American Legion hall that we've played before. And we had this Cinco de Mayo gig book there. And, uh, and we get there and the way this building is, it's pouring rain on Friday. And, the way this building is set up, the band sort of loads in around the back and there's a sort of a one lane path around to the back of the building. And I get there maybe five minutes after Mike and Russ had arrived in Mike's van ahead of me. And I see them parked sort of at the entrance to this path because there's a truck in the in the path already. And I didn't want to get out of the car because it was really just like total torrential downpour. So I called them and I said, hey, what's the story? And they said, oh, uh, so on the sign. It says Friday night, the fling. And so it's the fling and I'm the Dave and that's the Mike and the Russ. And and that's fine. And then Saturday, meat raffle as always. Now, meat raffle would be a great name for a band. In this case, it's actually a raffle of meat that they do on Saturday. So Mike says to me, and this makes sense because of the sign and we've been there before and we know about the meat raffle. He says, I have to wait for the meat truck to move out of the way and then we can load in. I'm like, okay. And, uh, 
I said, have you checked with them on that? Because this seems like a weird place to load meat in. The kitchen isn't anywhere near where this load in area is. And he said, no, I haven't gotten out yet. I'm like, okay, so we're just assuming that this is this meat truck. There's no sign on it or anything. Like, But okay, fine. So I still, so Mike gets out of the car. I figure, okay, I'll, I'll still wait because it's pouring out there. So Mike goes out, Mike comes back. And, and now I get a text from Russ who was sitting in the passenger seat of Mike's car being as dry as he could be saying, uh, there's another band. They double booked us. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so clearly this other band has, uh, has, has, uh, already loaded in, you know, and, uh, and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, the, the rule of thumb is if the place is double booked, the band that loads in first <laughs> plays the gig. And I've dealt with this a couple of times, not even a handful. I've, I've, I can remember one about a year ago that happened uh, for an acoustic gig, maybe a year and a half ago. And then probably the time before that was, you know, 15, 20, maybe even 25 years ago kind of thing. But it happens, and it's that's just sort of the rule of thumb. Is that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, he says uh, another band's currently loading in. The manager double booked us, and I said okay. And I'm like they did, and I even texted him back. I'm like, didn't they see the sign? Because the sign says the fling, and uh, and then I said, well, all right, fine. Maybe we can negotiate our way into uh, you know a beer and a, a free meal because that's usually how that goes when a yeah. you know when a club's kind of screws you over like that. It's like well, stuff happens, and okay. And then um, I decide, well, let's go in and uh, and and let's, you know, let's see what's going to happen. So I park my car and I go in. And by the time I get in there, the other band is like, uh, well, uh, we worked it out and, and you guys are going to play. We're going to leave. And of course, by that point, Russ and I had already decided, you know, they, they were here first. We're not playing. We, we've got we've we've completely let go of the concept of playing the gig. The drive up and back is a sunk cost because we already, you know, we already had to do that. So it's like, all right, great. We get the night off. We get a, maybe can negotiate for a free meal and then, uh, and then we're home. No problem. And this other band has now made the same decision in their head. Like, Hey, we get the night off. All we have to do is pack our stuff back in the truck. So there's this weird negotiation going on of like, no, you guys have your stuff in here. You should play. And they're like, no, your name's on the bill. You should play. Nobody. Well, this sounds weird. Nobody wanted to play. Nobody wants to play the gig at this point. That's right. Yeah. Except Mike in fling. He wanted to play the gig. And, uh, and he was a little triggered by the fact that Russ and I didn't want to play this gig. But it was, you know, it's like, well, this is how it works. They already, you know, the double booking happened. They're already here. Uh, protocol goes. That's they play the gig. We've we've already accepted that. We like Russ and I had gone through the acceptance process very, very quickly. And we were totally on the other side. We're like, all right, let's embrace this. And Mike was was not at all in the in the, in the acceptance camp on this. And he was a little pissed at us because Ooh. of this. Yeah. So um, the other band won that particular negotiation and they got all their stuff into their truck. Somehow we even helped them get their stuff into their truck. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. In the pouring rain, they were nice guys. It, it, you know, they're all nice people and they left and we loaded in and then they came in and had their free beer uh, while we set up and, and played. Now, one of the reasons that um, it, it, and in the end, wait, 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 hold on a second. Ahead. Was yeah, the yeah. booking guy anywhere to be found? No, Mike was trying to text the booking guy uh, and never heard from him. What I didn't find out until probably an hour before we just recorded here was that the booking guy said, no, I never booked this other band. And the other band 
had actually screwed up their own calendar. So this wasn't the club had double booked. It was that the this other band just showed up on the wrong night, which none of us knew until an hour ago or something. So, you know, we were all operating under the those of us in Fling didn't know that. That was a no harm, no foul thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fine. So, um, but, you know, one of the problems with this gig and one of the reasons I wasn't all that keen on playing it or was happy to, to see it sort of disintegrate is that Aaron wasn't there. He found out earlier in the week that he had to be out of town on business, uh, which has happened yeah, again, less than a handful of times over the past couple of years. But uh, it's, it's one of these things that's always sort of in the backs of our heads now with the way his job is. He occasionally just finds out, nope, I have to travel. And you know how that goes. Sure. Yep. And and so do we. We understand it, but it's it's not great. And so that was one of the reasons that um that that fling that I I was happy to not have fling play because it wasn't really fling playing. And um and it, these other Mike and uh, and Burke have been playing with uh, with this other project, and so they're. Um, this woman that sings with him in that project was there. And, and actually the drummer that plays with him was there and he did sound for us all night. And so it worked out, but it wasn't fling. Um, and, and it's a, that's a different thing though. That's a different two thing. Different, it's two different, different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the double booking thing was just interesting. So I'm curious, what would you have done in the, uh, in the, in the double booking scenario? Well, I think I would have been more aggressive about it because again, if it was not my fault, and it's right. 10 guys and it's, you know, 10 guys and it's a lost night of, you know, they don't offer to pay or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I think I would have pushed to take the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of, you know, I, I would defend my band's financial interest first. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And I used to be really good about if, if a, if a club or any, any venue didn't post like I always check to make sure we're on the schedule. Like if it's a festival, you know, that type of thing, I always look to make sure to make sure we're being promoted. Totally. Um, and I think maybe one time or two times in, in all this time we've been playing has the wrong band been on a, on a website and an email was sent and it was caught in advance. And, uh, you know, I think one time it was a double booking, but we got three days advance notice. And one time it was a, one time it was a, we just showed up and I guess we were first in or, or sure. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I think, I think, you know, I'm sensitive to the fact that, you know, guys livelihoods are kind of always <clears throat> in play, uh, to some degree, you know, like I said, there's half my band, they teach during the day and they gig at night and that's how they cobble together a living as a musician. And so I feel a certain sense of responsibility to that, that, you know, if I say something's going to happen, I'll take it pretty seriously and fight for it. That type of thing. Sure. And again, you know, if a guy comes out and says, well, it's a double booking, you know, what do you want to do about it? You know, and if a guy's not willing to own some part of a problem, yeah, you know, you walk away and lesson learned and you just don't ever go back there again. Right. You know, this is the answer. Right. So, yeah, I think I would have, I think I would have pushed to be the band that plays yeah. a, a little more heavily. I wouldn't have just taken a beer and a meal and, and, uh, and been cool about it. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and to be, to be fair, in in this scenario, you and Mike are in similar roles because Mike's the one that booked the gig, and he did. He had confirmed two days before with the club, yep. and you know all of that stuff. So, um, and again, as it turns out, the club did. The club was not at fault here, uh, although 
it, at the time, certainly all of us in Flink thought that, you know, that was. So, the, the so Mike was right. Though. Well, Mike was totally right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying in, in hindsight now. Yeah. Mike feeling he's entitled to the gig is not just a sense of entitlement. It's he did everything as a booking guy would do. Right. Booked it, booked it, confirmed it, you know, organized the band to get there and everything like that. So I guess I, yeah, I can definitely see where Mike would say, Hey, no, yeah. this right. is, is, this is not, you know, this is I, not I, okay. I did, lot, yeah. I did a lot of work to get us here. So, right. you know, we're going to fight to get what's rightfully ours. And I get that. Yep. I, I know I do too. I, I guess I've just been in enough of those situations. And again, it's not many, but if it's truly a double booking, which is what we all thought it was at the time, and it's on the club, it's like, well, you know, we can we can make a bad situation worse by turning this into a fight. You know, it's like the club booked two people. It happens. Well, the thing I would have done is definitely with the other band, I would have been like, here, here's our written confirmation and maybe, right. you know, ask them to see theirs. Right, right, right. right. I mean, I would have I would have dove into it as far as we could to defend the gig. Totally. Yeah. 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 So. Yep. So, but yeah, I mean, again, it, it we were, we were all, uh, even Mike at the time, we were all of, of the understanding that the club had double booked this. I, I don't, yeah. and I don't know where that, that confusion came from. But obviously that's that's what it was. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so we did. We put the uh, fling minus one on stage. It was it was OK. We had we had several good moments. We played two sets. Uh, the second three set, hours. Yeah. Three, three and a half hours. Uh, was it three and a half? No, three hours. It was eight to 11. It was supposed to be 730 to 11. But when we got there, the sign said fling 8 p.m. The fling. The fling. Sorry. <laughs> How could I get that wrong? Uh, and for the, so the first set we played about an hour, it was okay. It was a little rough. Um, and then the second set we, we, but we had some decent moments in the first set. I mean, it was good enough. And then the second set we brought Carolyn, the woman that sings with, with Mike and Burke in this other project, we brought her up to do, she did like four tunes and killed them. I mean, just was great. And then, uh, and then she stayed on stage and sang harmonies with us for the rest of the night, which was a huge thing. And she brought, she kind of brought an extra level of energy that was frankly missing from, uh, from our show without but having Aaron, Aaron, there. Aaron sings, right? Aaron sings, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know the percentages. I haven't ever broken it out, but he certainly sings as much as anyone else in the band. And no, perhaps but, even but he more. sings harmony. He sings harmonies. Yeah. So you didn't have to do with that with, with this woman there. Well, right. Yeah. She was, she actually was great jumping in on, on harmonies and she and I were able to blend well together. And, and that, 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 I think that was a huge saving thing for us. It's, um, you know, the other guys seem to be less resistant to play gigs without Aaron than me. And, and I don't know. I think part of that is that he and I really worked for a long time to develop a, a harmony blend. And so that's a that's a big part of what Fling is. And certainly everybody sings harmonies in in Fling and uh, and that's there. But there's there's I rely on Aaron quite a bit for that stuff. And when I when he's not there, I feel that pressure. But, you know, from the drummer's vantage point, um, I think I see the show differently than everybody else does. It's so funny you say that. Joe says that all the time. He says he sees what all the, all the band is doing. Yeah. You know, who, who's, you know, I know from where I am, I'm mostly fo- focused forward, right? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing the audience the, almost the entire time. I'm a 
turn around to fix a train wreck if should it happen. Sure. I may, you know, count things off. I may, if I, if there, if there's a mental note in my mind that there's some part of a song that I want to remind someone to focus on, you know, or, or if we changed uh, an ending, I might say off mic, you know, you know, watch that ending or that type of thing. But it, by and large, I'm focused forward. Yeah. Almost exclusively. I mean, I'll catch an eye with a with a band member on certain things, and I know I know that's a big thing for you. Is like sure. when a moment happens, you want to you want to enjoy that moment. But I'm mostly focused forward. But Joe has shared this with me many times that he sees and hears things from a very different perspective, including the audience. You know, he actually, you know, I'm somewhat focused straight ahead of me, but he'll he'll kind of pan the room, right? Uh, you know, and kind of see people behaving well, people getting into it. How songs are going over, he has a different perspective than I do often. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting. Well, so what do you see back there? What do you perceive you see? Well, and, and you know, it's interesting as you were saying this, I, I would say half the time with Fling, we set up uh, across the stage where Aaron is on one side facing in and I'm on the other side facing in and the other guys are between us. Uh, that works well on shallow stages. And and then sometimes it, we set up what, in what I would call sort of the normal rock band setup where the drummer's in the back. And, and this gig was in the back. But I'm I'm sort of aware of this stuff regardless of how I'm set up these days. And perhaps that just comes from years of being always set up in the back. But um yeah, you know, I you get to see how much the band's moving, how like th- there's you get to see how much the crowd's moving, certainly. But but I also see the band in between me and the crowd. And, you know, you just get a sense of the energy that's sort of flowing there. And I, I notice with Fling that without Aaron, where we miss a lot. Yeah. yeah. Even though he's just standing there at his keys, he's engaging uh, he, he interacts with the crowd in, in his own way, like we all do, but it, it works and it's definitely something that, that helps us. And the other guys can get in the mode we all can, but, uh, it's easy. We can, we can afford to have other guys in the shoegazing mode. If Aaron and I are engaged with the crowd, Russ, Russ actually is pretty good at engaging with the crowd. Mike and Burke, um, you know, kind of shoegazers at at times. And when without Aaron on stage, having half the band, you know, defaulting to shoegazing is a little much. Yeah. yeah. And so so I noticed that in the first set. And, it, and, and then, of course, there's the sound, right? You know, we didn't have we didn't have Aaron singing harmonies. We had uh, Mike and Burke singing some harmonies in the first set, but not. Not Aaron's parts, you know, they were singing their own parts, which is fine. But again, when somebody's missing, you can't just go and do what you do. You have to think about, you know, that and then also missing this, the sound that his keys sort of fill in. And and there was a lot. It was a very thin sound to me uh, on stage. And it's just yeah, it's frustrating doing that and and not just automatically having everybody fill in. It's like, oh, OK, yeah, we got to talk through this and. And then discuss. We can't just go on autopilot if we're going to do a gig without Aaron. We've got to have everybody kind of think differently about their jobs because it it's a different job. That's so. It, it, so 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 much to dissect here. So the first thing is, yeah, it sounds like you have um, a certain accepted level, expected level of engagement with the audience. And you don't expect guys who are not that guy to do it. Right. But in the absence of the guys who do it, 
it exposes a, a chink in the armor, so to speak. It, yeah, well, right, and and it, it that's exactly right. The, a band is the 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 sum of its parts, right? Sure. And and that's what delivers and makes it work, hopefully. And when you take one of those parts out, you gotta like everybody needs to rethink what it is they do because it's different different jobs. Um, you got to do a different job. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah, I love this topic about what you see from the from the drum throne because again it's it's so interesting to me because I I have such a myopic, you know, tunnel vision view of the show yeah. from my perspective. I've got, you know, I'm I'm thinking about cues, I'm thinking about, you know, what I got to sing, what I got to play. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking and, about and all that stuff too, just just so you know. <laughs> no, 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 but I'm just saying yeah. as a front person, right. I'm keenly aware that it that you know it, it's all funneling towards me, right? And um, and you know that brings with it some other things, right? Yep. So you know, what am I? You know, when am I going to introduce the band? How am I going to react to certain things to make the event feel in the moment? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. And uh, so that's one thing. But uh, uh, Joe shares like he is keenly aware if guys are sandbagging it on, on any given gig, right? Not that it's ever okay, but he's like, you know, some guys didn't do their homework like they said they would do, or some guys, you know, didn't have it tonight, you know, might be something that he could share. Um, and he kind of sees not only that, but he sees the reaction to that. Yes. Like some, sometimes guys are, you know, frustrated, disappointed with themselves, which I guess if, of all the possible reactions, that's the one you want. Someone who's like, oh, you know, come on, get it together. Uh, but the people who, you know, who are letting the band down by not bringing what they're supposed to bring and how people react to that is a is a particularly interesting, you know, thing to observe. Right. Yep. So totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. um yeah, I feel like, and in Fling, of course, I'm not just the 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 drummer in the rhythm section. I sing a lot of leads. I wind up being, especially without Aaron there, I wind up being the chief person interacting with the crowd. So, I, you know, I feel like I've got a lot of the show on my shoulders with Fling. Yeah. More so than any other band. There's you know. a clear uh, line of sight to where you set up. You, you, wait, yeah. you said you set up on the side. No, no. For this gig, I was in the back. It was. A, it's kind of a square stage, so it made sense to to put me in the back. Which is, it's fine. I mean, it, it worked out. I had a line of sight and everything. Yeah, yeah. And who's generally right in front of you, Russ? Um, generally, no one right in front of me. If we can avoid it, we have Russ and Aaron off to one side of me. If I'm if I'm in the center, it's Russ and Aaron off to one side, and Mike and Burke on the other. Yeah. yeah, you've seen us, so we kind of set up, you know, because we in yeah, most you get a stages. Lot of guys, we, yeah, well, yeah, and when it's not a very deep stage, we'll go all five horns across. If it's really not a deep stage, then we go two rows of the horns, three and two. Mm. But on a, you know the stages that we typically request five horns, so that puts the fifth horn almost right behind me. That pushes Joe a little bit um, stage left. Yep. And Steve doesn't take much room, so he kind of takes the corner of stage left. And so, you know, the back line behind me, Joe's, you know, just off my left shoulder. And Steve's yeah. kind of right. the corner. Right. But um, yeah, I don't like having anybody directly behind or in front of anyone else because it makes it makes visual cues very, very difficult. We uh, just got too many guys. No, I know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With 10 guys, that's almost so someone in someone's way. Right. Right. Sure. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff, man. Well, sorry the gig was weird. I'm glad you played it. You know, the second set with Carolyn up there, it really, we found that flow state where the You set, needed something different. 
What, right. It was yeah. a weird night as it was. Yeah. And so you needed a variable, a, a, a positive variable injected into the equation. Well, and so what was what was nice cake. is we I needed I I appreciated, you know, four songs in a row of someone else holding the baton. And that's a that's one of those things, you know, and so Carolyn did that. And then it was like, OK, we've gelled now. Now we're in good shape. And the, the flow from then forward was was fantastic. But, you know, having her be that glue, even even though it was only, you know, four songs or whatever, made yeah. all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's the thing is, is that baton concept is something I think about a lot. You know, wh- who holds the baton? And if the answer is nobody, then in my mind, it's just rolling around on the stage. And that's boring. Right. Yeah. You're, you're a rock band. So somebody needs to own the spotlight at all times. Sure. Right. And so it's like, don't drop the baton unless you know who's going to pick it up. And uh, and that could be a soloist to, a, you know, to a vocalist in a verse kind of thing. You know, whatever that is. It, that but that concept and we had the baton rolling around on the stage more than I would have liked in that first set. Yeah. yeah, I actually like that concept that you know on any given night someone in your band is going to step up. Yeah, that's kind of a really fun thing. It's like who's feeling it tonight? Who Some is of it? Times right. it'll be. Yeah, you know, our our uh, tenor sax player is really gifted, great player, and he pretty much blows us away most nights. I mean, he's just he's a great performer and he's sure. a great player, really terrific player, and uh, he usually does something to surprise us every night. But on any given night, that's one of the fun things about live music, right? You know, where is it going to come from? Is it going to be someone's reaction to a certain player in the band? Is it going to be some performance, some yep. solo, some song, you know, that, you know, all of a sudden catches its groove and is being realized to the greatest degree possible? I, I love that part of live performance is what's going to happen tonight that's going to, you know, change something. Totally. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's to live. me, that's why, yeah, that's why I do it. Yeah. yeah. I like it when we can fluidly and seamlessly deviate off the set list. Yeah. Um, and we got to do that during the second set on, uh, on, cool. on Friday night. Yeah, no, like I said, we totally got into that flow state. It was, it was a very different flow state than we w- would normally have because it was different people on stage, but we got there nonetheless and it was great. So I, yeah, in the end I was glad we did the gig and it was, you know, it's still an early night ends at 11. That's, you know, no, no complaints there. Do you do any there. four hour gigs? Someone was asking me about four hour gigs. Do you have any of those like club dates that are four hours? Yeah, more, uh, more often than like full band club dates are these acoustic dates. Some of them wind up being four, four hours. hours. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Which with acoustic stuff is tough. Cause you don't get to stretch out tunes with solos or anything. Yeah. You, you know, yeah, yeah. um, I've never played a four hour uh, acoustic. I don't even heard of a four hour. Acoustic. Yeah. There's a, there's a string of them around here. And it's, it's, that's work, man. You, and you got to think ahead. You can't yeah, just, you can't just, songs. it's a lot of songs. That's the thing is you gotta, you gotta plan your night so that you're not, you know, three hours and 10 minutes in. And now it's like, Hey, uh, uh, all our good stuff's done. You know, <laughs> most, most, believe it or not, most of my acoustics are two hours. Yeah. And then, and then the occasional three hour, I don't even think I would take a four hour. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't even think I'll take a four hour. Yeah. But even the house rockers, we we haven't had a four hour gig. I guess kind of that New Year's Eve gig, but we had long breaks in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but um, two to three hours is kind of just about just about everything we get hired for now. Yeah, I like the three hour gigs because you can do two sets, yeah. and that yeah. to me, I like that. I like the the shorter first set because if you do too long of a first set, you might drive people out. And and that's another thing is feeling that out, like. 
if you know you're going to lose them regardless, and again, that's just a, a judgment call, but if you know you're going to lose them, then you do play the long first set and keep them as long as you can. But otherwise, it's, you know, limit that first set to an hour, take a break, and then, you know, and then that second set's, a, yeah. you know, hour and a half plus or whatever. And that's fine by me. I like yeah. I like that. Work up a nice Hey, so real quick, sweat. I just want to share yeah. the, the gigs that I did last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I had a Saturday gig at a winery, a solo acoustic, Saturday afternoon, 1230 to 3.30. Yep. Um, it was a first time out at a winery uh, about a half hour away, 40 minutes away. And it was their first time doing an, an acoustic thing. They're trying it out. I was really excited about it because it's a beautiful winery, really nice people. And um, the weather was not good. <laughs> so I get there and it was, oh, and it's May in California. So just more weirdness, right? Sure. And a couple days earlier, we had 90 degree weather in California. So here we go. We're back down into like mid 50s, 60s. That's about I what get, we have here. It's that same kind of weirdness but, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. it's just strange. It's so, just strange, yeah. You know, I brought a fair number of people came to see me. They were happy with it. And I think it's going to turn into a really good gig. And, you know, just the thoughts were the weather was weird. It would have been nice to catch a break because I think the people who are inside the tasting room would have more enjoyed coming out. I had some, but I think they can really turn it into something. And I don't know, do you have wineries or do you have some, like, what do people do in New Hampshire if you just want to get out of the house and, you know, go somewhere? I mean, do you do... You do ice cream tasting, you know, whatever. What, what would people do that would be equivalent to like a winery experience? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I yeah, don't, you guys have apple pickings and farms. Yeah, like we that, do. Right? Well, in the fall, we do that stuff. But that's that's actually relatively short lived. That's about, you know, a month, maybe six weeks uh, of a season. We don't really have that kind of, you know, go sit at a winery thing. You might just go hang out at a bar and. And, you know, enjoy the the view of the ocean or whatever. Well, out here, these winery gigs are really turned into some of the best. Like, yeah. I mean, always better hours and club dates, generally better pay than club dates, nicer environment. People drinking wine in general are quite happy people. So it's a nice crowd to play to. Yeah, that's right. So those those are pretty cool gigs. So anyway, yeah. that was that was Saturday. And then Saturday night, I went and sat in with a band, which was kind of fun. So a friend of mine's really? band. Yeah, you know our friend Richard Karras, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Richard, who is one of the great Rolling Stones fans in the world, um, was sitting in with a local band. And he asked me to come sit in, and I ended up playing five, six songs with him, which was really kind of fun. It was just, um, it was it was kind of like what you're talking about. This woman, like, just kind of come in without any shackles on expectations on be able to just do your thing and kind of, and then you see that that thing creates some energy because it's different for the band. Yeah. It was fun to be able to, the guy to do that there. And then, you know, when I was done, just I'm out of there. Right. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You don't get paid, but you also have no responsibility. That's yep. That's right. That's how those sit-ins work. Yeah. Yep. And then Sunday, this is all going to come around. Uh, we had perfect, beautiful weather and I did a different winery with acoustic madness and it was just one of those Nirvana days. I mean, the sound was perfect. The blend was perfect. The vibe was perfect. Everything was great. You know, it was really one of the most pleasurable gigs I've done in a really long time. Just very cool. And the reason I come around to that is here and my mutual friend, Barry Folk, was out in California and he attended the gig. So it was kind of nice to see a friend. But the interesting thing about Barry is Barry is a listener to Gig Gab. And I'm hearing this from a few people that there are non-musicians that listen to Gig Gab because they consider this stuff kind of inside baseball. Yeah. You know, they're just interested in music. They're interested in bands. They like, you know, they're, they're music consumers. And this is basically inside baseball to them. I didn't know that this would be of any interest to somebody who wasn't a musician. No, I didn't expect that either. But as soon as that, um, as soon as, as soon as people said that to us, it was like, oh, I totally get it. 
because I'm kind of that way. Like I like to listen to, um, you know, uh, pilots, podcasts like general aviation pilots. Now, I, I aspire to be one someday when I grow up, you know, so maybe that's a little different, but maybe not. I mean, it's just inside baseball. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing in the span of I just about maybe two days, more than two weeks. Barry came to a gig of yours and a gig of mine. And he lives in Chicago. And he lives in the middle in Chicago. That's right. right. Yeah. Crazy Barry. He came and saw one of the better pilsers. You know, it seems like more and more I'm running into people who have some connection to Gig Gab, which is really a lot of fun. It's awesome. I mean, yeah. So we appreciate you folks. Thank you really so much. Do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do this as a labor of love. And, uh, you know, when we get those messages on the site or when people come up and say hi, it's really kind of fun. It kind of like the whole feeling that we're all just, you know, musicians trying to add a little bit of art into this world. You know, when you reach kindred spirits that are out there, it's kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very cool thing. It's uh it, it, I mean, we're very fortunate to get to do what we do. I don't just mean this podcast, although I, I include that in that, but just to be able to. Anything to go, musical. And, yeah. And just entertain. You know, I had, I had one of those moments on stage. I think it was at UNH when we were, or maybe it was this Thursday. I don't know. It was one of the first date performances. And I'm like, you know, this is pretty cool that I get to be a part of, of entertaining people like this. You know, that's, that's a, that's a good thing. And I can complain about all the little nuances and I'll continue to do that. Don't worry, folks. Like, you know, that that's not going to change. I'm, I'm still here, but you know, it is cool. And, and that's not lost on me. And I enjoy the heck out of it when I'm in the moment playing. It's just all the logistics around it that drive me crazy and make that'd fun. be nice to just do and not think <sighs> as, as it is with many things in life. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, you know, that's how it goes. All right, folks, for those of you that don't know, you can find us on uh, Facebook. Go to giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook, and we have a group there where we just chit-chat and all that stuff. And you can email us at feedback at giggabpodcast. You got anything else to say, Paul? No, just good catching up, and yeah, you know, we're getting into summertime, and a lot of gigs ahead, and yeah. good weather ahead, and hopefully more crossing paths with fellow musicians. That's the idea. Oh, I know. Yeah, man. Always be performing. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. <laughs> 